นโมทัสสะบุโกอะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะบุโกอะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะบุโกอะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังดัมมังสังฆังนัมมาสังเมื่อมีนาคมพฤศจิกายนฉันอยู่ในกรุงเทพฯฉันไม่ได้มาพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิถุนายนฉันจะพูดเกี่ยวกับเรื่องของเกษตรในเดือนมิ
And then he just said something. He said, oh, that's right. I've got to remember that when I feel let down by technology or I feel let down by my machinery, then, then that really upsets me. I've got to remember that. And I was like, oh, this person's actually working on themselves. I mean, now we're all Buddhists and you know we're all working on ourselves. We're all doing what we need to do and it's pretty obvious. But I think it's worth remembering that a lot of people in the world don't even know that cultivation is, is, is a spiritual path. And so uh, to become more conscious of this, to, to see, to remind ourselves, this is what we're doing, this is what we do as Buddhists. So what do Buddhists believe? So, well, Buddhists is not so much believing, but it's how we learn to purify the heart and mind from greed and aversion. That's what we do. We trust that behind there is something very pure, inherently beautiful and precious, but it's obscured and, and we, we work at seeing through the obscurities to what's truly worthy. And that work is, uh, is, is well, it's hard work, as probably all of us, I expect, know, and, but it's really worthwhile work. We've got to do something with our lives, so we might as well do something that's producing, something that's worthy. And part of this, of course, is, is seeing what happens when we don't, because there are times we feel inspired and together and we've, we've read something or we've met somebody or we've been on a retreat or whatever and we've, we've really got it together and we're, we're doing something about our lives and then conditions conspire and the enthusiasm falls away and we get a bit distracted and, and we're not working anymore and then what happens? That's cultivation as well. It's not like we're supposed to always be totally gung-ho and 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 and, and you know, speeding along the path because sometimes that's not what's going on. But when it's not going on, well, we learn from that too. You learn when the mind becomes dull. You know, and when the mind becomes dull, you've been you know, just letting things coast along and, and not really making any effort. And, and you see the mind, the way the, the thoughts come up and how we, we tend to we tend to blame the world for our problems. When we're not really working, when we're not really cultivating... That's one of the things that happens, is we see that the source of our suffering is out there. You know, we blame the world, we blame the weather, or we, we, you know, we blame your partner, or you blame the community, or the junior monks, or whatever. You know, that's when we're not cultivated. When we're cultivating, when we're really working inwardly, well, then we don't blame. We just see, all oh, right, there's the source of suffering. Attaching is the source of suffering. There. So that's a good barometer to see when we're getting caught up in blaming and the mind's going out and looking for uh, causes for our suffering out there. And every time we see that, well, then we're reminded, oh, no, actually, this is what I want to do with my life. This is what I want to do. Even at times it's really tedious, even at times it's really difficult. You know, sometimes things just conspire to all come together. Your health's not good, your mind's not clear and and the, the company isn't, isn't great and... And, yeah, well, it's like this at the moment. This is what I want to do. And to be very clear, this is what I want to do. This is my choice. This is my commitment to doing this work, this type of inner work, to free the heart so that we're unencumbered, so we can move on, move forward. When we're too burdened down, we can't go forward. We're just stuck. And the cultivation 
is uh, something that we do on all levels of our experience. This is not just a mental exercise. Body, speech and mind. Yeah. There's uh, everywhere, every moment, there's something we can practice with. It's not, uh, it's not like we have to be in the monastery or mm, we have to be healthy even. Yeah. In the last couple of weeks, Richard and I have been travelling around, going to different monasteries, different houses, different places, and the situation, the routine was very different. Sometimes the routine's not how one likes it to be. But then what happens? What do we do with that? We cultivate. What happens when I don't get what I want? With the body, you you can introduce little exercises in daily life. I've introduced a new practice for developing patience. I'm a serious beginner when it comes to patience. After all these years, I'm nearly 60 years old and 30 something, 34 something of them have been as a monk, you'd think I would have made more progress, but I still get very impatient. And so I've now got this new little ritual that I do. Walking along the street, when you're in town, you know, you've got to cross the road and there's this, a green light that says cross or walk and a red light says don't cross or don't walk, right? And because I go down to London very, from time to time and go to Newcastle and I just walk across whatever. If there's no cars coming, I just walk across. And as far as I know, in this country, you're allowed to do that. I mean, in Germany, they'll book you. You're not allowed to do that in Germany. And America, they totally freak out because people don't walk in America. They all go by cars. And if they see somebody crossing the street, everything stops. Yeah. In New Zealand, I'm not sure what they do in New Zealand. But in this country, I understand that people really don't care. And, but I thought, well, you know, you kind of, you come to this, this lights here and it says don't walk and, well, I think, well, I'll just stop because otherwise you, 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 I get caught up with momentum of always going somewhere. Yeah. I'm not, it's not that I'm necessarily afraid of the policeman, but that, you know, I'm afraid of this always being driven. That worries me. You know, it's being driven to be going somewhere and doing something. That's called bhava, you know, becoming. This endless cycle of becoming, always becoming, always moving on to the next thing. No peace, no contentment, no ease. And so we can introduce a little ritual. I have this little ritual now. I don't know how long it's going to last, but for the time being, when the light says the light goes red, says don't cross. I stand there. I feel like a total wally actually, because there's all these other people crossing. I think, oh, he's so spiritual, he can't cross. I think, oh, whatever, you know. I'm just being patient. And so we can, and, and of course, also with the um, the rituals we use in the monastery. With our bodies, when we bow, you bow to the shrine, and after you get over the initial resistance to doing this, you know, kind of slight, slightly weird thing that we weren't brought up to do, it just becomes the thing you do. And you, the next thing you know, you're just doing it in a perfunctory sort of a bup 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 way, and not really, not really mindfully bowing anymore. The bowing exercise is an opportunity to really be mindful and to come back in the body and to stop. So as in Chai used to say, we had to bow six times, not just three times, six times. He says, you're also conceited, you've got to bow six times. So every time you go into the eating hall and you clump in, you've got to bow six times. Every time you get off your seat, you've got to bow six times. Even if you go out to the toilet, you've got to bow six times. When you go, you come back, you've got to bow another six times. When you go into your kuti, you've got to bow six times. When you leave your kuti, you've got to bow six times. Not just when you go to see the great master, bowing all day long and but the exercise is aimed at bringing us back into the body and stopping. 
You know, really to practice with the body, to embody our mindfulness, to embody our awareness. And it's very easy in Buddhist teaching, so sophisticated, so interesting, so brilliant, that it's tempting to go up into the head and just think about Buddhism and to understand about Buddhism. But you know, that only takes you a certain level and after a while, you know, the, the, the enthusiasm that comes from understanding so much about everything doesn't work anymore and the, the wild untamed passions keep flaring up and, and demanding attention. So in preparation for that, the wise thing to do is to follow what the Buddha said and to bring the mindfulness, bring the awareness into the body. Yeah, to to uh, to learn to uh, engage in the everyday mindfulness exercise, and also the rituals that we engage with, the, the bowing. I was thinking there's a there's a tradition that uh, in Thailand where you gild the Buddha image. Some of you will have seen that beautiful new Buddha image that we received recently that Ajahn Vimalo made for us, which has been gilded and. Um, I was thinking in Thailand they have this expression, Dit Tong Dai Prat, which means uh, putting the gold on the back of the Buddha image. And it's a way of, for them, it's a ritual way of uh, cultivating modesty. And when, you know, the gold leaf that people like to put on the Buddha images, or we have on our Sema market down the back there, which somebody has unhelpfully tried to polish. Um, the gold is coming off the Sema marker. Any of you that are polishing our, our gold Sema marker, please desist. Um, it doesn't polish up. It's not brass. So, but uh, also people put the gold on the Buddha image. Even our Buddha image, sometimes people put gold on it, which then conveniently falls off. But if you've got a golden Buddha image, people can put gold on it. And there are those who like to put their gold right on the front where everybody can see it. But then this is the expression that uh, they're taught entirely, you know, dit tong dai prat, which means you go and put the gold around the back of the Buddha, where nobody can see it. In other words, to not, you know, to not show off. So, in other words, to cultivate with the way we use our body. Things we do is cultivation. It's not just understanding. Things we actually do with our body. How we eat. Reading some medical research recently, which talks about children who eat a lot of sweets when they're young, there's correlation between a high risk of excessive violence when they're older. Such medical research is, is very helpful uh, to you know, encourage people to be more mindful of what they actually pump their kids full of, uh, the chemicals and the sugar that poor, these poor children get pumped full of. Parents think they're giving their kids a treat and Actually, what they're doing is throwing their chemistry out of balance and, and the consequences can be serious. Well, we're not children anymore, and, and, um, but hopefully there's not too much damage has been done. And that's also an area where we need to be mindful, to cultivate. Yeah. What is the effect when we eat this sort of a food? What is the effect of getting too precious about food? You, you can... Uh, Go into Tesco's in Newcastle now and you can have a sensitivity test done. I don't know, once a week or whatever, Dr. So-and-so comes and does a sensitivity test and that may be quite useful. But also there's a risk of becoming obsessed with our sensitivities. we, we, We all have sensitivities, but if you make too much out of it, what happens? A passing sensitivity to some particular food can become a 
a hypersensitivity. And then you call it an allergy, and then you're living in this hostile world with all these allergies that you have to be careful of. Well, that's, that's not very helpful. Uh, right cultivation means we look at these things, the way we relate to our food. Now, sometimes it's good to just put up with not being able to get the diet that you want. You know, sometimes it's good to eat things that you don't want to eat. Personally, sometimes I do. I eat a little bit of meat from time to time just so I'm not getting off on the idea that, oh, I'm a pure being. The Buddha was very clear that you're not pure because of what you eat. Some people do want us to, as they did the Buddha, in fact, want him to make the religion strictly vegetarian. Well, as you've heard me mention before, I think vegetarianism is a good idea and anybody who wants to eat meat, I encourage them to go to the abattoir and to see uh, what animals have to go through so that you can uh, buy your meat and eat it. Uh, but on the other hand, to get the off on the idea that I'm pure because I don't eat meat, well, that's not it either. If we're cultivating, we can see these things. Yeah. With body, with speech, cultivating with speech, well, a very clear indication, the areas in which the Buddha said we need to be careful in, not telling lies, not backbiting, not gossiping, and so on, these things to be mindful of, but also in everyday life, how do we use our speech? What is the effect of the way we speak on the people we live with, on the people we meet? I like it when I do go into, and I'm sure some of you also will have tried this when you're in in places you go shopping and you find the person at the checkout counter looking depressed and miserable and and just going through the thing again, they, they scan your whatever it is you're getting. And, but then when you actually look at them and you actually say something friendly, you're like, thank you. Oh, that's very helpful. Or I appreciate that. It makes such a difference. Because basically, all human beings care. You know, all human beings are sensitive. All of us are sensitive. So human-to-human contact can be a wonderful gift, a wonderful thing to offer, to express gratitude you know. Even over small things, the expression of gratitude can be profoundly important. When somebody comes and offers you something, to cultivate, to cultivate, if we're cultivating when somebody offers us something, we're not thinking, oh, do I need this or do I not need it? If we're cultivating, what we do is we actually see the person offering us something. And then when we really see that, we go, well, then there's a heart of gratitude comes up. And then whatever we say, the words we say, whether it's a simple thank you or whatever, but we mean it. We mean, and then there's a human connection. And then there's a, a returning of the gift. Yeah. Gratitude and the expression of gratitude. Gen- generosity, they go together. Uh, humility, also, with speech. A, when, we're, when we're cultivating, if we're really doing our work and you know, cultivating, well then, sometimes it gets to the point where what you you know feel like is basically you need some help. You know, I'm not managing very well. And this happens to probably everybody at some stage or other. You're not coping on your own. You really need some help. Can we ask for help when we need it? Yeah. I think it's something I, I read in a book by Robert Moore, the Jungian Robert Moore, that he pointed out that 50% of humility was recognizing you need help when you need help. And the other 50%, he said, was being able to ask for it. Yeah. I think that was very helpful. 
You know, humility is not just recognizing when we need help, but also being so transparent or, 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 or not holding ourselves so tightly that if we need help, we're actually able to ask or we're able to say what needs to be said. Again, this is cultivation. The formal side of practice and reciting the scriptures, learning to recite the scriptures. We're here going to be entering Wasa very shortly. What is it? Three weeks, I think it is. Maybe four weeks still. Entering Wasa and we'll be uh, determined to memorize one of the cardinal suttas. Uh, We do this the last few years. Commit to memory. It's a very good thing to do. Commit to memory, the chanting. Those of you that are interested in learning the morning and evening chanting at the moment we have a big pile of the chanting books available for free distribution uh, usually they're only for in the Dhamma Hall but we happen to have a whole pile available for distribution at the moment uh, somewhere in the reception room in the house And so making a point of using our speech in a ritual way learning, actually learning to, to discipline speech it's, it's one thing to be able to Say whatever comes into your mind. That's another thing to be able to actually express ourselves clearly. But it's also something else to be able to discipline speech in a way whereby we, we speak in, uh, with, with focus, you know, with real focus and like with the chanting, yeah. especially because it's Pali. We don't even necessarily know what all the words mean. You can look what they mean up, but we don't have to know what they mean. They just, they just come out, but we can be really there in our body and chant mindfully, really chant mindfully and, and sometimes it's not even important that we know what it means we know that it means something good and what we can do is focus on the goodness and the exercise of chanting yeah, that's also helpful in terms of cultivating body, speech and of course the mind uh, cultivating on the level of the mind When we're cultivating, we don't we don't jump to conclusions. No. Of course, conclusions arise, and opinions and views arise. But if we're cultivating, we investigate our relationship to them. We don't even jump to conclusions about the stuff that arises in our mind. We don't jump to conclusions about other people. We don't jump to conclusions about things that arise in the mind. We tend to, but if we're cultivating, we inhibit that. Imagine Kawesako, this Japanese monk in Thailand, he used to always teach 50 50. Yeah, 50 50. You know, somebody comes and says to you, say, Oh, such and such a person said this about you. So you're thinking, My 50 50. Maybe they said it, maybe they didn't. Maybe they meant this, maybe they meant that. 50 50. I think that's very helpful. Because yeah. misunderstandings usually come where we actually we jump too quickly at the ideas and opinions. We're so, we're trained, we're programmed. It's not unexpected, it's perfectly expectable given the kind of education we have. That we, the more views and opinions we have, the more points we get at school. So we're supposed to have views and opinions. And the way we express them, you know, this is my view, this is my opinion. And, and it is, it's encouraged even today, perhaps more so than ever really. You see the way uh, news broadcasters are now uh, superstars. They're not just delivering news, which may or may not be important, but actually they are delivering it. 
and this is uh, what's endorsed in our culture, uh, the personality cult. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of reasons for that. But we can go against that. We don't have to be a victim to that. We can cultivate. And so when impressions arise in the mind, say 50-50, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. And that way we can, we can avoid misunderstandings. Yeah. Now, there was an incident with Kusla House, which... Um, our, our, our lovely accommodation down the hill there, where we put a lot of time and a lot of research, a lot of energy into figuring out the best way, the healthiest way, the most environmentally friendly uh, way of, of dealing with people having to dry their hands in the bathroom. And so we got all these towels. We have all these towels. We've already got all these towels in there, but there's a number of people who visit here who've got immune uh, diseases and spreading diseases via towels is not a very good idea. And then also it actually takes a lot of time and a lot of hot water to wash and adequately dry these towels. And so I think, is there another way around it? And so, well, you can have those energy extravagant, noisy blow dryers, those things that they have in, you know, in public places, and, but they are pretty noisy and actually pretty expensive to install as well. And we looked into all the options, and then we thought, well, okay, it seems like environment considered, economy considered, health considered, the best decision is we'll use uh, recycled paper, disposable paper towels. And um, so, okay, so we installed them all, and I think it was in the time when Andrew was still here. Or maybe it was Mike, I don't remember. We all got installed. And this coincided with introducing another new thing down at Kusla House, which was feedback sheets, so that all the guests that come, besides having a, a little piece of paper on their bed when they arrive about this is the way the monasteries run, this is the routine, and... And if you want an interview with one of the senior monks, you do this. And this is the, how we do things at the mealtime, whatever. And these are the places you can go and places you can't. And besides all that useful information, there's also a sheet for feedback. And, you know, the very first piece of feedback we got, which was very firmly worded, was you should not be wasting paper and destroying trees. And, oh, well, whatever. Whatever you do in life, no matter how hard we try, uh, we're going to be misunderstood. And um, if we cultivate, then the misunderstanding doesn't have to go in our You say, oh, well, this person didn't, mis- didn't understand right. That's all right. Yeah. And restraint is something that comes with cultivation and certainly something the Buddha praised. Uh, considering this evening 369, verse number part of 360, he says, uh, it is good to restrain the eye, good to restrain the ear, good to restrain the nose, good to restrain the tongue. 361, it, it is good to be restrained in the body, it is good to be restrained in speech, it is good to be restrained in mind, it is good to be restrained in everything. The renunciate who is restrained in all ways realises freedom from suffering. Yeah. And that's just one of the many, many times the, the Buddha talked about the power of restraint. Of course, yeah, the renunciate who is restrained in all ways realises uh, freedom from suffering. Also, of course, it was right restraint, mindful restraint, but right understanding is not just about being restrained we can be willfully restrained like with our speech or with our action as well as with our mind you can really put a lot of pressure on and hold on to the meditation object or with your speech you can just willfully refuse to with the body but then it just bursts out so Cultivating 
restraint means there's mindfulness there, there's sensitivity there. You're like cultivating restraint of the speech. Yeah. I remember when I, again, I was a young monk and it was at this, I had this very painful, I had this very painful realization. I was living at Chithurst and I was asking somebody to teach me how to use the table, the table saw or the, the, the planer, the planer, you know, the planer, the machine planer, powerful bit of machinery. And I've seen somebody lose part of their finger on it and I didn't want to lose my finger on it. A really powerful bit of kit. And so I was asking this, uh, I think he was an anagarika or a novice or whatever, to show me how to use it. But as soon as he started telling me how to do it, I had this, all this heat come up within me and kind of, I had a reaction that I, how dare you tell me what to do? So, well, yeah, but I just asked him to tell me what to do. Well, it was conceit. Yeah, that's, <laughs> well, it's very painful, I realize. And it's the same with our speech, you know. As soon as somebody comes and, even if you want to learn, and somebody comes and tells you what to do, yeah. can we take it or do we just speak back to them? Not to mention criticism, of course. You know, we're all pretty clever, and you know, somebody comes and criticizes us for something that we've done. Do we restrain? Are we cultivating? Are we there listening, feeling the reaction in the body, listening to what they said, reflecting on what they've said, and come back with, oh, thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Yeah. So restraint, really training, cultivating restraint in the body, cultivating in speech, cultivating it in the mind. Ultimately, the restraint we exercise with body and speech is so we can be restrained with the mind. Ultimately, the, the letting go of the habits, of the false identity in the mind, that's what we're aiming towards. But we can't just do it with the mind. That's why the Buddha taught of body, speech and mind. This is a whole body-mind experience. And so as we do this, well, then we can learn from our everyday experience. Yes, there's formal meditation, yeah, and how we relate to our meditation object, reflecting on that. You know, not just the teacher comes along and says, you do this, this and this, and and so you try it and, and then you get some wonderful results but then you don't get any wonderful results and then things go bad and you keep hammering away and hammering away and do you have the subtlety to pull back and reflect on well, how am I relating to my meditation object? Am I approaching my meditation as like the first time I approached my meditation? Because that's one of the reasons why we have good results when we start meditation is because the mind is open. But when we have some nice experience, then we remember the nice experience. We come back to meditation. We want to have, we want to have the nice experience. And so our heart and mind is not open now. It's actually closed and contracted with desire. And so we start our meditation with desire to get what we got last time. We're not actually open for the experience. We're not really with the breath or with the sound of silence in an open, new, fresh way. We've got all this baggage that we've brought with us. We're encumbered with things we brought with us. But if we're cultivating rightly in our meditation, then we recognize these things, no judgment. Or if we do judge, we cultivate and we recognize that. So does judgment help? This is right cultivation. Anyway, as we're going along, does this, does this help? Like the image the Buddha gave, talking about the musician. Remember they were standing on the bank of the river and there's a musician floating by and and the Buddha said, that's, how you, that's, about, that's right effort. Yeah, if he tunes his instrument too tightly and he hears a sound, oh, that's off. Tunes it too flat, that's off. 
You get it just right, you know, oh, that's just right, that's beautiful, that's just right. So it is with our effort and meditation. We've got to cultivate wise reflection to listen. Does this work? Is this helping? If you get into an argument with somebody and then, you know, you, you, you win the argument, you, you win your point, you feel really good, and you go away afterwards, does it help? Does it feel good? Does it feel good? Does it feel right? Does it sit right in my heart? Yeah. Reflecting in the whole body-mind, is this working? And then with that cultivation comes an agility. You know, we're not just spiritual technicians. Yeah. Spiritual technicians, they take techniques, whether it's the five precepts or right speech or, or the right understanding, and they apply them and they become rigid. And you can't have a shared dialogue with a spiritual technician because their opinions are held so tightly that they are right, and they know what's right, and you're wrong and you don't know. No place to meet, no space, no learning. Very sad. Whereas if we're cultivating, then there's an open heart and an open mind. It doesn't mean to say that we don't have views and opinions, but it means we can listen. There's an agility there, there's a subtlety there. People are different. Growing up in New Zealand, it took me, how old was I? Maybe it was, it was even after Thailand, it was after I came to Europe, maybe I was 30 years old or something, where eventually I realised that not everywhere in the world was just a slight variation on New Zealand. I thought that, you know, basically everywhere in the world just looked a little bit different from New Zealand. Well, eventually I realized that that's not the case. And likewise, I had this kind of conceited self-view that everybody was just a slight variation on me. <laughs> and it took me, I think I was in my 40s before I realized, well, actually that's not the case. Some people are vastly different from me, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Now, if, we are, if we're, we're rigid in our attention if we're not rightly cultivating, then we don't have that, that agility, that subtlety to be able to allow for differences. We have our way of seeing the world and we project it out onto the world. Yeah. It does get a certain sort of energy going. Fundamentalists have got energy, bright-eyed certainty about everything, whether it's Buddhism or Christianity or ecology or politics. Uh, fundamentalists have got energy. But... Is it harmonious? Does it? Are they really contented? They might be happy, they might be high, but, well, we have to decide for ourselves. But my experience is that when we, we cultivate in the way whereby our practice leads us to greater agility and flexibility, well, then there's more space for other people, more space for different views and opinions. Maybe we come to realise our prejudices, even, and our weaknesses, our limitations. You know, when we're really rigid, we don't even realize our limitations. Yeah. I didn't used to think I was impatient. Now I realize I'm seriously impatient. So I'm introducing all these little rituals in my life to help me deal with my... I'm nearly 60. I've got to get on with my practice. And the fact you know, how different people are. Penny was telling me the other day that they've now been doing research on uh, how women deal with stress. Up until recently, most of the research and this was done for men and the fight-and-flight phenomena. And uh, now the research shows that women actually deal with stress very differently from men. What women do when they get stressed out, apparently, is that they get together and start talking. That's just what makes them feel better. Well, that's helpful to realise. I, I know in mixed communities where monks and nuns live in close proximity, you know, when monks are stressed, 
what they tend to do is go to their room and close the door. Yeah. Somebody says, oh, where's Bhikkhu such and such? They say, oh, you know, he had a bit of a scene with somebody. He's, gone, he's off licking his wounds. And, you know, say, oh, right, okay. Just, we, we all know, man, we just leave each other alone when you're, somebody's off licking their wounds. But then the nuns, when they're stressed, they want to talk. Now, when it happens that they're stressed and the men are stressed at the same time, that's not good. That actually doesn't work very well. Apparently, I hear this is what happens in marriages as well, that you know, he goes off and she wants to talk. Well, if we cultivate in the right way, we say, well, people are different. You know, women don't have to be like men. Men don't have to be like women. We can tolerate different ways of doing things. My way of doing things, this bloke from New Zealand, you know, he's got a certain way of doing things. Born in this, under the sign of Virgo. He's got several planets in Virgo. He's, he's fairly confident about his views on aesthetics and, and so on. Yeah, he's got various opinions. And trained in Theravada Buddhism under Ajahn Chah. And he, he's got a perspective on things. But it's not the only perspective. And if there's agility, and right cultivation gives us that agility, well, then we can tolerate uh, differences. So reflecting this evening on that verse, uh, verse 369, uh, as I said, what stands out for me is that right cultivation leads us to being unencumbered so that we can progress on the path. So I hope this evening my thoughts will be of some use to your own contemplations. Thank you very much for your attention. Mm-hmm.